Were the New York Mets the biggest winners of the trade deadline? We're going to get to know the prospects on today's edition of Locked On Mets. You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets, free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. On the show today, I have a great guest to discuss the Mets prospects that they just got back at the trade deadline in the first segment We'll speak specifically on the Justin Verlander trade and the two prospects they got back in Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford. In the second segment, we'll talk about the Max Scherzer trade a little bit. And then in the final segment, we'll talk about Marco Vargas, the guy they got in the David Robertson trade, and what this top 10 is going to look like after all of these deadline moves. Before we get into any of it, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com where I work as the managing editor. And that's where I found my guest today, Jack McMullen. He works at Just Baseball with me, hosts the Just Baseball show, the call-up, and he's the play-by-play voice of the Indianapolis Indians. And we're talking prospects. The Mets, big, big winners of the trade deadline. Were you shocked to see two future Hall of Famers go in the span of a week? Because even myself covering the team, I was a little surprised. Short answer, yes. Longer answer, yes, and thank you for having me. Um, No, I mean, it it was crazy, man. I was not expecting Scherzer and Verlander to be on the move. I was not expecting Verlander to be on the move whatsoever. But Scherzer, I was like, I don't know, like, are they going to move any of them? But that thought didn't even creep into my mind until probably this point last week. And then all of a sudden, three days later, he's a Texas Ranger. And then the other is back with the team that... You guys signed him away from. So I, I found it fascinating, man. I think Justin Verlander, uh, that that story is a perfect example of like, hey, grass isn't always greener in New York City. But um, no, you guys you guys made out well on both those deals. It's, it's kind of crazy. And we're recording this on Wednesday. I have a show coming out on Thursday based on an article I just wrote for us at Just Baseball where I sort of took a minute to kind of zoom out and just think about what just happened. And the more I process it, it was kind of lying there in front of us this whole time. Can't tell you how much I've been talking about eating down salary to get into a rebuild, but you just don't expect this. And honestly, I think the Scherzer one, which we're going to talk about more in the next segment, it, it, it was more wondering, is there a team that's interested? And when you got a team like the Rangers who want to win now, who can get Scherzer on the cheap monetarily when they have all this dead money on Jacob deGrom right now, ironically enough, they're able to get a good prospect. The Verlander thing is more complicated. And that's why I want to start here because the Mets are not, no matter what Max Scherzer wants to tell you, they're not folding 2024 right now. I can promise you that. Um, might they spend more for 2025? Potentially. That's when all this money that they just spent on Verlander and Scherzer comes off the books, basically. But they're still going to try here. And Verlander could have been their ace for the next two years. They decided, and I think the calculus on this, and it's what I got into the article, is if you're Steve Cohen who thinks about money and thinks about investments, 
you had about $14 million in dead money on your books with the fact that these guys were not going to help you win a world series this year. So if you zoom out the contract on Justin Verlander, it's $93 million, 14 to 15 of it essentially was left this year was just dead money. Was he willing to then spend $52 million to get two top 100 prospects? And that was the answer. Yes. So let's get into those prospects. We'll start with Drew Gilbert, the headliner, Uh, a guy that wasn't on any top 100 list yet, but I think that was a misconception based on this was his first real season. And when all these rankings update, this trade is going to look a lot better in that respect. Yeah, so Drew Gilbert played about 10 games last year, I think 10 to 12 games uh, of professional baseball, but he was on the best team in the country in Tennessee, and Gilbert was, you know, top of the order masher for Tennessee. One through eight had like 10 homers last year for Tennessee, so, you know, I can't say like, hey, he was a top of the order guy, he was a true leadoff man, like, no, he he had 20-something homers, I think, Um, but Tennessee was that good. Everybody was hitting 350 with 20 pumps. Um, Drew Gilbert, first round pick of the Astros last year. And, you know, he, he played really well in that 10 game cameo last year, but he broke out in a massive way in high A this year. And this was a college junior should have been his, you know, senior season of college. If he did stay the four years and he he's making a mockery of high A, he gets the bump up to double. He struggles a little bit in the month of June, but July he takes off again. I think this guy, if you combine his high A and double A numbers, is is right around a mid-800s OPS. True staying power in center field. You wonder how much juice is actually in there. Is he going to be a 20-homer guy? Is he going to be a 15-homer guy? 10-homer guy. He's not 30, but he is an exceptional bat-to-ball, good defensive center fielder. Drew Gilbert, no doubt, is top 100. I bet he's in the 60-ish range in most uh, on most outlets. And a lot of people are saying, you know, the top prospect in the Astros system and Clifford might be the second best prospect, which is the crazy part of this deal, depending on how you like some of the guys in that system with Gilbert. What's interesting. Now he joins his college teammate, Blade Tidwell and double a, that double a team is looking like, I mean, a, really a top prospect haven right now, when you sort of project out when he can get to the big leagues, right? I think there's a chance that 2024, we could see Gilbert, uh, what do you think about that timeline? And with Brandon Nimmo in center field, do you think Gilbert could play up in right field? Yeah, I think, you know, push him to the big leagues as, as quickly as he's willing to get there. Um, you know, there, there's no point in sacrificing this guy's development, but he's somebody that can climb quickly, I think, because the approach is so mature with Drew Gilbert. So um, I think probably mid to maybe September 2024 is fair. I don't think this is a guy that we're talking about possibly breaking camp. I think that, you know, he'll finish this year in double. He may be assigned to Syracuse front half of next year. And it's just kind of waiting. If, if Nimmo goes down and you do want to make that move in June or July, you can probably get away with it, but there's no point in, in rushing him. I think 24 is fair. I don't know what you do in the outfield. Because I was trying to play that game with Luis Angel Acuna, and I know that we're going to get to him a little bit later on too, but I'm thinking, okay, if these guys are 2024, Nimmo is the center fielder, quote-unquote, of the foreseeable future. Lindor is going to hold down shortstop for the next decade. McNeil is going to play second base, or he could move to a corner for the next you know, five years or so. This is year one of a five-year extension, so four years after this. You run out of spots. And I just wonder how they're going to maneuver that. I wonder if they move Nimmo to a corner at a certain point. Um, 
or they they make room elsewhere. But I would think it's Nimmo still in center. Gilbert can play a good corner, but I mean his value is maximized in center field. And, and that's the interesting thing about this, and it's it's one of those things where Nimmo's value on the contract is, is a lot of it was what he's done in center field. But you also can imagine him being a great left fielder. And his bat lately has shown to be able to handle a corner as well. So it's interesting. I think ultimately you're just getting best talent available. And that's what these trades were about. And that's where the Clifford edition is interesting. I have a feeling that Gilbert might've been on the table from the beginning. And the piece that made it all happen was they're trying to find other pieces the Mets like, and maybe Billy Epler just was steadfast. I want Clifford too. And he, he maybe called Jim Crane's bluff for a while. And ultimately he gets this guy. How excited should Mets fans be about the second prospect in this deal? Incredibly, like incredibly excited. I'm not saying that Ryan Clifford is better than Drew Gilbert, but the ceiling I think is higher. Ryan Clifford has 35 homer upside. It's Vientos-esque. I love that comp that Arm Layton made on the call up. Your friend and mine, Arm Layton, the uh, co-founder and uh, executive editor at Just Baseball, but um, or the editor-in-chief. But man, I mean, he said like, Offensive profile is pretty similar to Vientos where you're going to get some swing and miss, but you've got power to dream on for years. And I think that's exactly what Clifford is. He's young. He was a high school draftee last year. You hope he can play a good corner. Um, He's not going to DH. He's going to play a fine right field. You're hoping it's a good right field. And with that kind of juice, I mean, this guy is putting up insane EV numbers. R mentioned a couple of batted balls already over 110 miles an hour. This guy's 19 years old. 19-year-olds shouldn't be doing that, but he's doing it. 16 home runs in 58 games in high A. And what's what's the average age in high A? It was like 22, 23? I think so. I think he's three and a half years younger than league average. That's crazy. And I mean, literally, I think he just turned 20 like two weeks ago. Yeah. So all, all this year, it's been at 19 years old. To get him thrown in, I, I've been saying that it, it – yeah, in the article, I said he might be the best player of the three. I think that there's a chance that the Mets just got their top three prospects with Gilbert, with Clifford, and Acuna. And right now, he's number three, but he one day could be number one of that group. Yeah, I would say I've got Ronnie Mauricio on line one because Ronnie, I think, has proven that he belongs in that conversation. I know you know a lot of Mets fans still like Parada as well, but I would take the three they just acquired over Kevin Parada. I think, yeah, Ronnie Mauricio, and, and we'll get into like the top 10 guys in the final segment. I'm setting him off to the side because I imagine in a couple of weeks we're going to see Mauricio in the big leagues and you know he'll, he'll be graduating. Maybe it's not officially at the end of this year. It'll be early next year, assuming he gets the playing time. I, I thought the tweet was funny. What Mets were in Kansas City, and I heard that there were minor leaguers that were already at the hotel before the deadline ready to take over for the guys that were going to get traded and it needed to be specified that Ronnie Mauricio is not one of those guys at the team hotel. So I can yes. appreciate that. Yeah. John Heyman always, uh, always poking fun at Mets fans, but Hey, I'm sure we'll see him soon. I think there's something about having to wait a couple of weeks for, for some incentive. I, I didn't read into it much yet, but I want to talk about Ronald Acuna's little brother. We're going to get to that in a minute before we do today's episode is brought to you by eBay motors for a championship team. It's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay's guarantee fit, you can be sure that every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage. Look for the green check to know that the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game. When you shop on eBay Motors, 
with over 122 million parts to choose from. You'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. So get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay's guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, so the Scherzer trade for Luis Angel Acuna. I think this one was a slam dunk from the beginning because Scherzer hasn't pitched great this year. You were basically on the hook to pay him $57 million throughout the end of this contract because everyone knew he was picking up that player option. You eat 35, you save about $20 million in your books next year, and you get a top 100 prospect. And you know, as great of a prospect, we'll get into his value here. You know Steve Cohen loves the fact that this is Ronald Acuna Jr.'s little brother. You just know it. That, that had to tip the scale. I can get an Acuna in this division. Sign me up. I, I think it's a really fun trade for the Mets. If you did it for name value alone, it's probably worth it for New York to have an Acuna in their market. And uh, no, I, I thought that was awesome. Um, question for you. Do you budget your groceries on a weekly basis? Like I factor groceries into my weekly, monthly budget. The fact that the Mets are eating this many millions makes me sick to my stomach. It's crazy. It's like, hey, we want Acuna's little brother. So we're willing to pay 30 of the remaining 57, right? Rangers are going to pay Scherzer 22.5 in total. The Mets are paying, I think, 34, 35. Yeah. Dude. Again, the the reason why the money makes sense is because it's Steve Cohen and it never makes sense. But – essentially you have to look at the breakdown of this year being a sunk cost anyway in his mind. So you take that 14.6 million and you just pull it out of the equation. Then it becomes a more palatable $20 million next year. Still insane, but can the Mets find two starting pitchers in free agency for the $41 million they're saving on Verlander and Scherzer to have a decent rotation, not an incredible rotation like they were hoping for this year, but a decent one. And then you're playing next season as, Let's audition all these kids. I think that's the mindset. It's, hey, we might not win a World Series next year, but we're going to have a fun young team. And 2025, they're hoping everything really is you know, going to break right for them. I'll give you one right now. I, I put out a Twitter poll, or I guess an X poll uh, the other day. I said, who signs for more money in free agency, Cody Bellinger or Julio Urias? And I think that's a testament to Cody Bellinger. Yeah. Because Bellinger has upped his price big time. This guy was on a prove-it deal after being non-tendered. Urias, his price has dropped. Urias was looking like a $35 million arm on a yearly basis, and he was going to sign a six-year deal. Who's to say he wouldn't sign a five-year deal at $100 million? Like, that's half of the money that you owe Scherzer. So if you can go get Julio Urias and another guy that's either a really talented pitcher coming off of a down year or a guy that is peaking at the right time heading into the market. If you can sign Julio Urias for 20 a year and Sonny Gray for 20 a year, and your front three in the rotation turns into Urias, Kodai Senga, Sonny Gray, I think you're a happy camper. And that's the price point that they can work with now that they've got Scherzer, I guess, technically still on the books, but off the books. Um, I, I thought, yeah, in, in when you adjust your lens to look at it through a Steve Cohen tint, the money made sense. 
they paid for a big time prospect here. And Luis Angel Acuna, I don't think that the Rangers will feel it because they have such a good system and they already locked up Corey Seager for a decade and Marcus Semien for five more years after this. But dude, I mean, this was, this was a big piece to get in return of a guy that is rocking a low force. And now I, I think what 2024 becomes so fascinating with me, and I actually want to talk about Marco Vargas in the final segment uh, with the, the top 10, the Mets now have, but you know, you could see a world where maybe Gilbert towards the end of the year, but certainly Acuna and Mauricio could be factoring into the mix at some point next year. Mauricio more likely, but it's is Jeff McNeil now a corner outfielder? They Probably. still have Starling Marte. We'll see if Marte can bounce back. They got Brandon Nemo. They still have Lindor and Alonzo in the infield. Beatty now has the rest of this season to try to prove himself. Who knows? Mauricio might be the third baseman in Acuna could potentially fill that hole if Beatty ends up you know, becoming a bust, which I still don't think it's going to happen. But no. the point is, there's a lot of players that can fill this roster. And oh, by the way, you have your catcher of the future clearly in Francisco Alvarez. Yeah. So I think the Mets are sitting at a point with all this talent they just brought in that between 24, 2025, we're going to start talking about this young core of position players as one of the best in baseball. Yeah, I 24 too. What, what are they... What was the word they used? Retooling, reallocating, repurposing their repurposing. investment. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and, and Scherzer said sites are set on 2025, which is beyond the contract window. Dude, the Mets are a 500 team if they don't add anything next year on paper. And, and I know the game is not played on paper because they were an 100 win team this year, and that's not the case this year. But man, I, I think that this is a 500 team. You still have Lindor, you still have Nimmo, you still have Senga. Edwin Diaz is back healthy. There's so much talent still on this roster. The free agent class is good enough to get to 85 wins. They can compete next year, especially if Beatty takes that step up. Francisco Alvarez still looks awesome. So I think you're making a great point. And yes, like you can assess things in 2024, but hey, when you're in a wild card chase or when you're in a division chase next year, uh, you can stop assessing and start buying again. That's the thing for me is, a year from now, literally to yesterday, we could be talking about the Mets in the market for a Dylan Cease that's back that's back out there because the Mets are in the mix and they had a decent enough rotation. They're just looking for that one last arm. It, Dude, it, like, I, as somebody that grew up a White Sox fan, I know what rebuilding looks like. Rebuilding looks like Alejandro Deaza is in the outfield and like Brent Lillibridge is playing every day and Tyler Saladino is playing every day. Like, I know you guys have Danny Mendick who was a part of the rebuilding White Sox, but... I mean, dude, like that guy was hitting second. He's not going to hit second next year because you have a $30 million shortstop that's hitting second. Yeah. And, and you mentioned Deaza as the first name, which was fantastic because he had a cameo with the Mets at one point. Did he? Um, okay. You know, the, the thing about it too is the Mets were looking at coming back with the same team a year older. If you really think about what they had in 2024, if it was a full fire sale, they would have traded Brooks Raley. They would have traded Omar Narvaez. And they they would have traded Adam Adovino. They held on to those guys. So the crazy part to me is like the bullpen's been a big issue this year. Even with no additions, no changing anything around. Next year, you're going to sub David Robertson for Edwin Diaz. Cool. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's yes, they took two big pieces away. But really what this was, it was selling the rentals and eating money in a crazy way on two future Hall of Famers and getting three guys that are going to slot right into the top of your system. And I think it's... An incredible pivot by this Mets front office. Big time, big time. No, I, 
we called them semi winners on tomorrow or on today's just baseball show. Um, and like, it feels so backwards because I call the White Sox a winner this deadline too. And it, and it feels backwards for teams that fell way shy of expectations to call them winners at the deadline. But when you look at the deadline, they were totally realistic in their expectations moving forward and they adjusted accordingly. And I thought that the Mets did a really nice job of adjusting accordingly. And, you know, I, I might just have my, uh, my Mets Homer hat on right now, but honestly, so. Outside of a team that wins a World Series based on their deadline moves, I really feel like the Mets and the White Sox become the biggest winners because they most took advantage of a seller's market, which I wrote in an article about a month ago for Just Baseball. Who's going to take advantage of this seller's market? It feels like the Mets and the White Sox were the two teams that did it. And part of that was trading your rental closer and getting an insane haul for him. I want to talk about that next. First, though, another word from our sponsors. So the New York Mets made the trade that was obvious. That was the first one they did. David Robertson to the Marlins for Marco Vargas as the headliner. I just want to focus on him before we get to the other prospect in that. Vargas, everyone freaks out because they say, you know, was he 19? He's in the uh, Florida Complex League. I can't believe this guy's so many years away. What are you doing? The more that we've seen people actually watch minor league baseball and follow are like, I cannot believe the Marlins traded Marco Vargas. And I know in our group text, we were getting a lot of that from Aram. What are you seeing this guy? Is this uh, a soon to be a, a top 100 talent? Could we be seeing that? Maybe not this year, but coming in the not too distant future. Yeah. So I personally have not gotten to see much, but um, Aram, Aram's a huge fan of like the world is falling when the Marlins make a move and they give away like the one prospect that he likes. But this case, I, I get it. Just like kind of looking at the numbers and seeing the swing on Twitter. Um, you know, in the Twitter video Hall of Fame, Jason Dominguez, BP, when he was 17, is certainly in there. Um, I think Lazaro Montes is in the Mariners system, like 17 years old. I saw him hit a home run at 118 miles an hour off the bat. And I was like, okay, yeah, for sure. Um, but no, dude, I mean, Marco Vargas's Twitter video swing is like, wow. That's a way better swing than 18 than any 18 year old in baseball should have. But uh, based on the numbers that that Aram has relayed, I mean, this guy doesn't chase bad pitches. He makes contact with so much in the zone and he hits it hard enough right now. And this guy is nowhere close to being a finished product physically. So uh, this is certainly somebody that you can dream on. I think the consensus is going to be that he's a top 10 prospect in the Mets system. I bet he's close to five or six. He might he might be seven. He might be six. But, I mean, this guy is a legit bona fide top ten prospect in the system for somebody you did not have on the roster four months ago and don't have moving forward. It's And because you mentioned, I'll get into the top ten now, because when they made the trade, I said probably going to be top five. Then they get Luis and Helicuna, Drew Gilbert, Ryan Clifford. I think, okay, it might be just outside of that. But. Yeah. Setting Ronnie Mauricio aside, because yes, he, he's a top five, probably top three prospect in the system. But you know, at some point soon, there's a graduation there. So just looking towards that 2025 window, right? You got Acuna, Gilbert, Clifford, Parada. Don't forget about Jet Williams, mm-hmm. Alex Ramirez, Blade Tidwell, Marco Vargas. They just drafted Colin Houck. Yep. I mean, 
there is so much talent there. That's not even getting to a guy like Mike Vassell, who shot up in a lot of people's eyes. There's a lot to like about this Met system suddenly. This went from a bottom tier system, like bottom 10 for sure, borderline bottom five farm system in baseball to probably in the 10 to 15 range. I bet closer to 10 than it is to 15. I mean, this deadline turned this system around overnight. Same deal with the White Sox system. I mean, they went from bottom of the barrel to probably a top 50% system in baseball. And I, I think the Mets and the White Sox, we just mentioned it, I'll mention it again, like did a great job identifying the situation and creating a better situation for themselves. So when you add in an Acuna, who I think immediately becomes the best prospect in the organization, um, quickly followed by Gilbert, then I think you've got Mauricio there and then Ryan Clifford to follow. But then Parada, right after that, you mentioned Jet, you mentioned Blade Tidwell um, and Marco Vargas too. I mean, those are you know, nine or 10 guys that I just named off that can get you a massive return and really any other deadline except this one. But this was a seller's deadline. The Mets were on the right side of a seller's deadline and they came out with a top 10 system in baseball out of it, I think. And I, I think a lot of times people, you know, they might react and say, oh, why, why was there no pitchers coming over at this deadline? And you have to, tri- you have to get what people are willing to give up. And a lot of teams want to hang on to their pitchers. There's a reason why it's important to develop your own pitching, quite honestly. And the Mets are trying to do that. And I'd say that they've actually done a pretty good job there in the you know, recent history. But yeah. you look at you know people freaking out that you know why they get Marco Vargas when they have Lindor at shortstop. Marco Vargas might never play for the Mets, okay? But Marco Vargas, two deadlines from now, might be a consensus top 100 prospect and get you the type of starter that you just traded or that closer, I even said this when they traded Robertson. I said, you know, maybe in a year the Mets need Bednar and it's Vargas that's in that trade. And it's like, okay, you had your rental reliever and you got another rental reliever down the line for a, a run that you're actually in. So they did well at this deadline pretty much across the board in my eyes. Yeah, no, I think they did great. And that's a great way to view it because, you know, you, you take a gander at like minor league baseball. You know, some of the best prospects in the game are, are – blocked i guess but that's because they're high a double a guys you got to worry about your team right now especially if you're in a window of contention um the way that a lot of minor league players and a lot of minor league organizations will put it is not only are you trying out for your parent organization each day in the minor leagues you're trying out for the 29 other teams and you're trying out to be an asset for your team to move to improve the big league club. And there are a lot of guys that are really good players in the minor leagues that want to get traded because they don't see the opportunity there. It's just the organization that they were drafted into or signed an international free agency or were traded into previously. So I I think that you're exactly right. Like this was a capital builder and this can turn into a big buying deadline for the Mets next year. It, it can. And it's funny. You mentioned guys want to be traded. It was interesting to me that Ryan Clifford, like within hours of getting traded, had somehow posted some picture of him in a Mets shirt. Like probably someone had sent it to him. Like, you know, like they, they Photoshopped it. Yeah. But imagine if you're Ryan Clifford and you were you know, signed, whatever it was, was it 2021, 2022, 22, um, 11th round for like second round money. Yeah. So you're just signed and you just got traded for Justin Verlander. <laughs> can you imagine that that's think insane. about how good it must make you feel too yeah 
Dude. You were the piece that got the deal done for Justin Verlander to go back to the Astros where he's probably going to go into Cooperstown with an Astros cap on. You <sighs> made that happen. And now, you know, maybe there's even a clear path to the big leagues with the Mets in a couple years. I saw Bob Nightingale tweet that, and I'm thinking about it. Justin Verlander is going to be a great immaculate grid pull in a decade. Like, wow, I forgot about those, you know, 14 games he started with the Mets. But, um, yeah, I saw I saw Nightingale tweet that he might be going in with an Astros hat on. I don't think so. I think he still goes in with a Tigers hat. I was looking because I think it's I think this is going to be his eighth year with Houston or maybe seventh year with Houston when he had parts of 13 years with Detroit. And like Detroit think, was the team that drafted him. It, it's tough. It's, so he's it was 17, 18, 19. He didn't really pitch in 20. Um or 21, and then it was 2020. This might be like like seven years, five seasons. I'm not sure exactly how the math lines up. I would say one more World Series would make him be an, an Astro, in my eyes, if he's a two-time World Series. Or I guess that'd be three-time, right? Forget Great. about 20, 2019. I mean, it's already two-time. It, it might be the Astros. Yeah, it, it's crazy how these trades end up, end up uh, working out. Here's a yeah. trivia question I want you just to save on your brain for the future. Okay. When they ask... Justin Verlander, what team was he playing for when he won his 250th game? Oh. The New York Mets. He That was the last start he made in a Mets uniform when number 250. I love that. No, I mean, that's what people are going to remember Albert Pujols, the LA Angel, for. He hit 500 and 600. Was it 400, 500, and 600? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, he hit all those with the LA Angels. Oh, man. Well, we'll see uh, what the full kind of uh, – result of this crazy sale is we'll, we'll watch Scherzer and I can't wait till Scherzer and Verlander pitch against each other in that race in the ALS. It's going to be fun. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Jack. You can follow all of his work, uh, just baseball.com, the just baseball show, the call up, uh, check out any of my writing at just baseball.com. Follow me on Twitter at Ficklestein Ryan. Thank you for making lockdown match your first listen every day. And we'll be back for another show on Monday.